Hello and welcome to the THCC podcast. Thank you for joining us. At THCC, we are a vibrant, multicultural and multi-generational church at the heart of East London in Tower Hamlets. And we gather every Sunday to worship God, learn more from the Bible and have fellowship with one another. Our passion and desire is to see the community around us to be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now it's time for this week's sermon and we pray that this message you're about to hear would be a real encouragement for you in your journey with Jesus. So I'm going to read from um, Luke chapter 1 verses 5 to 17, the NIV version. In the time of, of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the, of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right-hand side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, He was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents, their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Morning everyone, it's good to see you. We're definitely on the straight towards Christmas now, aren't we? I, uh, I looked for my Christmas jumper this morning and couldn't find it, so it either means Annie's given it to the charity shop or uh, I just need to sort through my wardrobe, probably the latter. How's your preparations going for Christmas? See, some of us are planners, aren't we? Who's a planner here? Who likes to plan stuff in advance? Who has to live with a planner? And boy, don't you know it, yeah? (laughs) See, I'm married to a German, and of course, Germans plan very well, don't they? So, So Annie's very much a planner. In fact, the Germans are such good planners that they're already planning for the 2026 World Cup, because for them, this one is over. If you're Scottish here, the World Cup is something other people go to. (laughs) But 
Preparations for Christmas are in full swing, aren't they? 21 days left to Christmas. People are frantically looking for Christmas gifts. Quick plug, if you're looking for a great Christmas gift, on the 11th, uh, on the Sunday service here next week, there'll be a stall from Basho, which is one of our partner organisations in Bangladesh, where artisans make really quality items, which uh, we're going to be selling some just at the side, just to raise money for Basho. They make great Christmas gifts. Other shops are available, but uh, they'll be here on the 11th to do that, and also on the 17th in the evening at the carol service, there'll be a stall from Basha, so you might want to get Christmas gifts from there. Do you, I remember it back in September, for the first time in the year, hearing how many shopping days there were till Christmas. People making preparations for Christmas time, aren't they? They're, they're really up at it. You know, um, supermarkets have had their Christmas ranges in from probably September or something. Um, for me, Christmas starts when the Stolen are in at Lidl. At that point onwards, then it's Christmas season as well. Uh, how are your preparations for Christmas going? You know, my uh, big brother, we, what we do Christmas with him up in Liverpool normally or down here, we get from uh, the end of October onwards updates on how the Christmas pudding is doing. They make a Christmas pudding. Apparently they feed the Christmas pudding, whatever that looks like. And we get updates on how preparations for the Christmas pudding are going. People are really prepared. Who's feeling prepared for Christmas yet? Yeah, Natan's there. This is Italian forethought. Um, what he basically means is his wife is prepared for Christmas. That's what we all know, isn't it? Um, you see, though, it's possible to have a prepared kitchen. It's even possible to have a prepared house with the Christmas tree and decoration. Anybody got their Christmas tree up yet? Wow, I'm so, quite a lot, actually. I'm quite impressed. Uh, but it's possible to have a prepared kitchen and a prepared house and not have prepared our hearts for Christmas. Why? Because at Christmas we celebrate the fact that Jesus took on human flesh and came and died for us. And my message today is simply an encouragement to prepare our hearts for Christmas, to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of a Saviour. Firstly, I want to say God is a God of preparation. God is a God of preparation. Think about it. God is a God who has predestined us. God has purposes for our lives and they are worked out. And because God is a God of purpose, he's also a God of preparation. Can you pass my glasses up, Annie? I just realized I forgot them. Um, and because God is working out his purposes, it's important, they're in the front pouch, that we have hearts that are open to hear what he wants to say to us. I want to focus today on the birth of John the Baptist. I want us to see how God was preparing his people Israel. God was preparing individuals. One of the incredible things about the, uh, the incarnation, Christ coming in, as, as man, 
is the fact that we see that God uses normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill type people. God doesn't just use the special, the influential, the rich, the famous. God uses everyday people. And it's so possible in the midst of all the running around we do to miss the fact that God wants to prepare our hearts for Jesus. You see, sending Jesus was not a spur of the moment thing. It's not something that God said, oh, look what's happened. I know I've got a plan. No, sending Jesus was the defining moment in human history. God comes to, uh, Jesus comes to fulfill the purposes of God. The entire scriptures find their fulfillment in Jesus. The Old Testament pointed and spoke and directed people to look and to wait. Without the coming of Jesus, the Old Testament would make no sense at all. You know, when we think about the life of Jesus, we see hundreds, literally hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. This is not something that happens by chance. This is God preparing mankind to receive his son, Jesus. How's your heart today? Is your heart open? Is your heart prepared? Is your heart ready to receive God's son, Jesus? You know, the birth of John is part of the Christmas story that's often neglected. Many times people just skip over it. If we think about how the Old Testament ends, we see that God's people are left waiting. After Malachi came and prophesied, there were 400 years of silence. 400 years where God's people thought that God was no longer speaking. 400 years where God's people drifted away from him. They became increasingly secularized. 400 years when it seemed like heaven was silent. And one of the things that Malachi promised was that God would send two people. Malachi prophesied that God would send a Messiah, but also one who would prepare the way for him. Malachi 3.1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Those words resounded over those 400 years. As prophets like Isaiah looked forward to the Messiah that would come. God's people were waiting. And it seemed like the waiting was endless. Have you ever had to wait for something that you so desperately want? What are those things that we hang on, that we wait expectantly for? You know, in a very normal, practical, everyday way, there are things we wait for. You know, as a a Liverpool fan, waiting 30 years for us to win the league seemed like a long time. 
Arsenal fans, that's going to be a lot longer for you. Just get used to it. But we wait for things and we have an expectation and a hope. And we hope that something will happen. And God's people were awaiting the promised Messiah. They were awaiting the one that would come before him. You know, part of that prophecy from Malachi was that God would use uh, John the Baptist to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. God would send a messenger. And God would send one who prepared the way. God wanted to restore, in one sense, turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons. I think partly uh, speaks of, of the unbelieving state of Israel at the time. And having reconnecting them to their faith of old. But also the restoration of families. In this promise of Malachi that God would send the Messiah, but also one who would come and prepare the way. What we see is God joining the end of the Old Testament. And this passage that that Rosemary read from us is the first promise of the New Testament. Here we see God joining the old and the new. And that promise was about the birth of John the Baptist. 400 years of silence about to be broken. You know, the Bible tells us a lot of details about the life of John the Baptist. And part of the reason was that John's ministry was so important. It was so tied into Jesus. God sent John to prepare his people. As we think about how God Uh, raised up and spoke over the life of John, we think of the fact that John pointed to Jesus. It's a powerful picture, I believe, of what all of us are called in one sense to do, to point people towards Jesus. We see God over centuries preparing his people. We see the unfolding picture of scripture we see god's purposes worked out across the very stage of human history but we also see god's purposes worked out in ordinary people we see it worked out in john's parents those verses from verse 5 in the time of king of herod king of judea there was a priest named zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. What we see is the family that John was born into. His parents were godly people, they served God. But life wasn't simple for them. It's interesting, isn't it? God comes in the midst of ordinary people. God is at work. And God is at work in Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are busy serving him and yet life 
for them is hard. Verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. You know, that would have been a real scandal for them. It would have been a very difficult situation in our day and age and culture. Being unable to have kids is a very difficult thing. But in the culture at the time, it would have been, the pressure would at times have been almost unbearable. It would have been very common for someone to have been divorced simply because they were not able to have kids. You know, perhaps Elizabeth and Zechariah were thinking, God, we're serving you. We're busy being faithful. We're busy being obedient. We're doing all that you've asked us to. And yet you have not blessed us. Do you know, God comes into the midst of disappointment. I think we have to really realize that we should not equate material blessing simply with spiritual obedience and faithfulness. You know, sometimes it's easy to think if we live faithfully to God, then we will only see blessing in our lives, that things will always go well. And you know, that is not true. The Bible is full of people who lived godly lives but experienced great difficulty. People who lived with disappointment. People who lived with persecution, difficulty, betrayal. And we need to realize that God sees, God knows, and God remembers. God is with us in difficulty. It's interesting, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. I wonder what that must have felt like. You know, sometimes we read of stories of people in the Bible and we see God does something incredible for them. And because we know the end, we miss out on the pain and the difficulty that went before. In the midst of Zechariah and Elizabeth's pain and difficulty, the Lord remembers. When Zechariah encounters the angel Gabriel, we see that, uh, that, that phrase, your prayer has been heard. God sees and God remembers. But here's the interesting thing. That phrase we see, your prayer has been heard. I think it's very easy for us to think that that must have been because Zechariah was praying for a child. But actually, I think it, I'm not sure it is. If we look at the context of it, it's Zechariah ministering in the temple. I believe as a faithful priest of God, he would have been praying for the Messiah. He would have been praying for the salvation of Israel. When God comes in and says, your prayer has been heard. I don't think that's just about him having a child. In one sense, they were beyond years. They were old. They were incapable of having children by this point. It's highly unlikely he would have been praying for that. In fact, later on, when when the angel says this to him, what will happen? He can't believe it. I believe his prayer 
was for the salvation of Israel. I believe his prayer was that God would send Messiah. He was looking at God's purposes. And I just really want to, in all the busyness of our lives, I want to say it's so important, keep our eyes on the purposes of God, not just on ourselves. Sometimes God wants to use your pain your difficulty, your brokenness, the experiences of his, that we go through to accomplish his purposes, not just in us, but in the wider world. I want to encourage us, in all we do, let's seek the purposes of God. Let's seek God's salvation, God at work in his people. The Lord remembers. Don't Give up praying. You know, my father was from Bangladesh, was a, uh, a Muslim, and we prayed for him for many, many years. And then one day God spoke. I remember it so well. Annie said to me one day, just you need to go. She said, I was praying and I really believe that God spoke that you need to go and bluntly share the gospel with your dad. And I didn't know how to do it. And I just went because when God speaks and the wife speaks and those two things come together, it's time to listen. It's only pain involved otherwise. And I went and I just, I didn't know where to start. And I remember saying to my dad, Dad, do you know what sin is? And he said, I know what sin is because there is sin in my life. And he began to weep. And God just opened up his heart. That day he placed his trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We prayed for years, but God had his time. God had his moment. The God who is the Lord who remembers. I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, you know, for us that was in quite a difficult time and season of life. The Lord remembers. God is working out his plans. Never give up. Never stop seeing God at work. Secondly, I want us to see how John's birth was foretold. So we see that the Old Testament spoke of John the Baptist. Also in Isaiah 40 verse 1 to 5 it says comfort comfort my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the wilderness, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice in the desert, one calling, make straight. In the wilderness, a highway for our God. That voice calling out in the desert was John the Baptist. You know, we'll look a bit more at John's ministry at the end. But I want us to see that in all that was going on, God was going to use 
John to prepare hearts. God at work. It's interesting, isn't it? This is written hundreds of years before John even existed. I want you to think about that, that God is a God of purpose, that God predestines, God ordains, God speaks over and into our lives before we even existed. Isn't that incredible? God, who is all-knowing and outside of time, knows everything about you and has always known everything about you. It's incredible. That is the God we serve. And God speaks generations and hundreds of years beforehand. And God is preparing his people. And God is preparing to send his son, Jesus. And God speaks over the life of John the Baptist that he would be a voice calling out in the wilderness. God is infinite. You know, one of the worst things we do is that we kind of see God as just a bigger version of us. It's so easy to do, but it is so pale and it's a horrible caricature of who God is. God had spoken over centuries about John's life. But then God also spoke very directly in this passage we read. He spoke through uh, an angel to Zechariah. It's an interesting time. If we uh, understand the story a bit, Zechariah was a priest. He would have been one of thousands of priests. And we see that at this time he was making incense offerings. And that would be about as close as you could get to the Holy of Holies as a priest. It would have been in his lifetime he would have done that once. And in that time, in that moment, in the sense in which Zechariah was doing and being faithful in the everyday, God spoke to him. I want us to see that so many times when God speaks to people in the scripture, they're just doing and being faithful in their normal everyday things. You know, sometimes it's so easy to chase big spiritual experiences, big spiritual moments. I want to encourage you, pursue faithfulness. Pursue, in one sense, a mundane life, an ordinary life of faithfulness to God. You know, we live in a generation that is defined by expressive individualism, where there's this whole pressure on us to be the center of the world, and not just to discover meaning, but to create meaning through our own lives. And that leads people to to pursue all kinds of things, to desire to be special. I want to encourage you, desire to be faithful. Desire to live an ordinary and godly and upright life. And in the midst of that, we meet with God. In verse 11 there, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. God speaks through an angel to Zechariah. His father received this vision. After all these years of silence, and and particularly as we see as the words that Zechariah spoke, uh, the words the angel spoke to Zechariah, he would be aware of what that meant, the implications that his son would be the one that was prophesied about. After years, decades, hundreds of years of silence, God is speaking powerfully, preparing Elizabeth and Zechariah for John the Baptist. So there was a sense of anticipation. God is about to do great things. God is speaking. You know, in the time of Advent, this run-up to Christmas, we are reminded, aren't we, of a sense of anticipation as we think about the fact that God sent his son as man to come and to die for us. You know, many of you will probably follow an Advent reading system where you read and it builds up that sense of anticipation. This year I'm reading an Advent set of Advent readings from, from Bonhoeffer and it's brilliant just being able to think about in a really focused way the sense of anticipation that builds God at work. To the Jewish people at the time, they longed for a Messiah and God was starting to move in new ways. I want to ask you, what are you looking forward to? What are you longing for? What do you have a sense of anticipation for? You know, as we think about Christmas, maybe some of that is about being with friends and relatives and celebrations and turkey and tinsel and all those other wonderful things. But surely there's more. What are you hoping for from God? Where is your sense of anticipation? God came down. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's a fact. God sent his son Jesus and that changes everything. Because of who Jesus is, because he came as a man, because he lived a perfect life, because he died on a cross, because God raised him and has exalted him, everything is changed. Because of Emmanuel God with us. You are empowered to be light in the community. You are empowered to be witnesses of the resurrection. You are empowered to be those who bring hope and light and life. Everything changes because Christ came. It's very interesting, isn't it? As Zechariah encounters this angel, he's fearful. So many times as we read the Bible, we read that when people encounter God or encounter an angel from God, 
their responses to fear. And there's a sense in which we as Christians need to learn to fear God. We need to understand his awesomeness, his greatness. We need to not just see him as the almighty, but also as the almighty. We need to understand the awe, the majesty of God. In the midst of his service in the temple, God sends this angel. Your prayer has been heard. God's going to bring great change to the world. But first he's going to bring change to Zechariah's world. I like that picture, the the fact of God who is awesome, doing things in the grand sweep of history, and God who does stuff that is personal in our lives. It's how the world is changed, isn't it? One soul at a time. What's God done in your life? You know, when we come to worship, it's not just singing, but actually we're giving thanks For what God has done. And sometimes that's through tears. And sometimes that's in a place of exaltation. And when life is great we worship. But also when there's just pain and tears we get to worship. Because God has done great things. What has God done in your life? Are we living day by day in the awesome truth of the good news of Jesus? You may have heard that phrase to be gospel centered. What does that mean? It means every day I rejoice in the fact that Jesus died for me. That he brought light out of death. He brought hope out of despair. He brought forgiveness out of my sin. And that means we live in that daily present reality. The God who does the incredible over the whole sweep of history works in the mundane and ordinary life of people like us. And we see that kind of paradox at work in the life of Jesus, the king of glory who was to come. But he wasn't born in a palace. He was born into obscurity and poverty. It's a real stark contrast. The one to whom all worship is due. And yet Jesus came as a servant and washed the disciples' feet. The Lord of life. And yet he ended up crucified. The sinless son of God. And yet our sin was poured out over him. We have to live with this contrast. God at work in the sweep of history but God at work in the everyday. And that's something I really want us to understand for our lives. Zechariah's told a few things about John's life. He says he will be a joy and a delight to his parents. We're told that many will rejoice because of him. We're told that he will be great. It's better that God calls you great than you call yourself great. But it's interesting. John was called great by God. And yet John's life didn't end well. He was, John's life, that's a tough calling. You know, being the strange weird prophet in the desert. 
You know, eating locust and honey. I'm not even sure of that combo. I'm not a sweet, savory guy, but except bacon and pancakes and maple syrup, that works. But generally, I'm not a sweet and savory guy together. John's calling was a tough one. And he ended up dying because his voice was a prophetic one. And yet John was great. Why was John great? Because he realized what true Christian ministry is about. He said, I must decrease so that he might increase. That's the ministry that we all need to desire, that we become less and Christ becomes more. So let's look at John's ministry just to close. The, as the angel speaks to Zechariah, we see it. Verse 16, many, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a readier people prepared for the Lord. And then in verse 76 and 77, and you, my child, will be called, this is Zechariah speaking over John's life, and you, my child, will be called a prophet to the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That was the calling on John's life. To go on beforehand and to point the way for Jesus. The focus of John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to herald, to announce his coming. Jesus was the saviour. John's mission was to prepare the way for him and point towards him. I think there's an element each of us need to to really embrace that. Jesus is the saviour. And our job is to be as heralds of his coming, to prepare people for the fact that Jesus will return. The point of John's message was to get the people to prepare their hearts for Jesus. I think that echoes in the ministry we're all called to. Are we preparing people's hearts for Jesus Are we showing people through the way that we live that Jesus is alive? Are we declaring the truth of who Jesus is? Not just one or other, but the works of the kingdom and the proclaimed word of the kingdom. The gospel is primarily spoken. The good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. It's spoken but it's backed up, testified to, and accompanied by changed life and good works. And those two things never should be separated. But it's never enough to simply say, just do good. To point the way to Jesus, we need to proclaim Jesus. We are to proclaim that Christ will return. What did it mean for John to prepare their hearts? Well, John called people to repentance, to turn from their sin 
and turn toward God, to listen to what God was doing, to be changed, to acknowledge their sin. People came to John for a a baptism of repentance, acknowledging that before God there was sin in their life. John wanted their attention to point them toward Jesus. Whatever you have in your life is a gift from God. In Corinthians, the the series we were doing just the last nine, ten months, you know, Paul makes that exact point. What do we have that we haven't been given? It's all grace. Whatever we have, it's not because we're so smart. It's not because we're so spiritual. It's because of God's grace. Whatever you have, use it to point people to Jesus. If you have money and resource, use it to point people to Jesus. If you can cook, use it to point people to Jesus. If you can love and serve people, use it to point people to Jesus. If you're a teacher at work, use it to point people to Jesus. If you're a mum or a dad at the school gate, point people toward Jesus. If you're a student, point people towards Jesus. If you're unemployed, use the time that you have to point people toward Jesus. Jesus, who was the son, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 says, he's the son, the heir of all things, the one through whom everything is made. He is the radiance of God's Glory. It's very simple in one sense. So simple, Zechariah couldn't handle it. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm old and my wife is well along in years. It's the only way you get to call your wife in public and get away with it. Call her old in public. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. It's interesting, isn't it? Zechariah is the holy man, the priest. He encounters the angel of God and he can't believe it. The news is too good. He's going to have a kid. Him and his wife are past it. They don't even have date night anymore. How's it going to happen? You know, it's easy as followers of Jesus to spend so much of our time living with the, the limitations of what we're able to accomplish in our own strength. It's easy to live in the here and now with the difficulty, with the mess of this world and lose sight of something bigger. The challenge for Zechariah is to let the reality of hope loom larger than disappointment. How's that work for you? Do you live with disappointment being bigger than the potential of a changed future? Do you live with the despondency of now blotting out the possibility of what God can and will do. At Advent, we are reminded, as we run up to Christmas, we are reminded that into the darkness comes light. Into suffering and death comes hope and life. 
Into brokenness comes healing and restoration. What's it going to happen? At God's appointed time. So I want to leave you with a challenge on three things. In the midst of the preparations for Christmas, are you preparing your heart for Jesus? Is it about him or is it just about stuff? It's remarkable just how simply Elizabeth and Mary in the Christmas story just said yes to God. They said yes to God. Are we seeking to prepare the hearts of others? Part of the reason um, Lisa went through that long list, and it was a long list of the different Christmas events, is simply to say there is something for everyone here that you could invite a non-Christian friend to this Christmas. Whoever you are, there's something that you could invite them to. If John the Baptist's role was to point people towards Jesus, to get their attention and to focus it on Jesus, one of the ways that we can do that, primarily that's in your relationships with them, but also you can bring them along to something at church where they hear a presentation of the gospel. Whose hearts are you preparing for Jesus? And then lastly, Zechariah had to make a choice and to believe that what God said was true. If you've never made that choice, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, if you've never said yes to him, never put your trust in him, then this Christmas can be the most remarkable Christmas because it's the time when you discover what it is to meet with the living, the real, the King Jesus. Let's stand. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. We're going to worship. But if God has spoken to you in this message and there's something you want prayer for, even as we worship, we're just going to open up some space here. If you want prayer, please come to the front. Somebody would love to pray for you as we worship. Let's give God the glory he deserves.